This episode is about one of the most agonizing decisions of life, and that's whether to stay in a relationship or whether to go. It's wonderful to interview a guest like Dr. Kiri-Ann Cook, PhD, who is so passionate about her work. I really enjoyed learning about her new model of relationships called the Relationship Map, which can help you better understand your relationship and to answer this big question, should I stay or should I go? I believe you'll find this episode really interesting, positive, and caring. But because there can be great distress at the end of a relationship, if it does raise issues for you, you could contact a support helpline in your area. For example, in Australia, you could contact Lifeline. I know a lot of you are seeking a higher quality of life, and I don't know anyone who wants the quality of their life to get worse. But that can happen when you're stuck in a rocky relationship or going through a difficult separation and divorce. My name's Liz Rankin, and I've created the Separation Fix with the intention of turning you away from that mess and in the direction of a brighter future. I hope you find this episode interesting, and thanks for listening. There are so many different reasons for separation, such as a sense of incompatibility, communication problems, sexual or emotional unfaithfulness, sexual incompatibility, abusive behaviors, external pressures, etc. And in future episodes, we'll do a deeper dive into the main reasons, because my experience is that the reason behind the separation can have a big impact on post-separation life particularly as how parenting and financial matters unfold. So keep a listen out for these future episodes. But today, we're going to talk about the decision-making process itself with my guest, Dr. Carrie Ann Cook. I'm delighted to be speaking with Dr. Carrie Ann, who is a psychologist, holds a PhD, and is currently the discipline head of the Counseling and Mental Health Program at the University of New England, which is located in Armadale. Welcome, Carrie Ann. Well, hi, Liz. It's great to be back. Lovely to be speaking with you this morning. Carrie Ann, in preparation for our conversation, I wanted to get some up to date statistics on who instigates marriage and uh, de facto relationship endings. And I couldn't find anything conclusive in relation to de facto relationships, but in relation to heterosexual marriages, the decision to separate is made by one person about 70% of the time. And um, women also make that decision about 70% of the time. But behind all those numbers is a huge amount of individual heartache and pain. Do you think that for most people, Carrie-Anne, this decision is one of the most agonizing of their life? Yeah, I, I think that that's probably very, very true. Most people um, spend a great deal of time thinking about getting into a committed relationship, whether it is a de facto relationship or a marriage. Um, as we both know, people spend a great deal of money on weddings and, you know, they're a big public commitment um, and there's I have met some but there's very few people who enter into that agreement thinking that it, you know it's not going to work out I'll just go through this bit and then there'll be you know it won't work out people go into marriage or committed relationships believing that the person they're with um, that they love care for them deeply respect them and strongly believe that you know their future is going to be with this person yeah. So, 
And there really is, um, depending upon the nature of your relationship, um, there are so many ways that you become interconnected from your bank accounts to your children to your family. Absolutely. Yeah. Carrie Ann, there are so many also different theories about how people come to the decision. Um, there are theories that it's fairly logical and linear. There are others that emphasize the real chaotic nature of the decision. I've, I've heard it described as being like lost in a wilderness. Or there is the theory, and I like this one myself, of the pile up. How do you see it? What's your experience through your work and with your teaching? Um, I think, Liz, my experience with my work is that people as we talked a little bit about the stages of relationships, the honeymoon stages when most people really uh, in love, rose-coloured glasses on for their partner, nothing really much can go wrong. Having said that, I have dealt with part of um, Australian family law is if you've been married for less than two years and you separate, you have to attend counselling. Now, I've seen some of those people, but what happens is they attend counselling to get the document ticked off usually because they want to get married to someone else or move on. They, they don't really come to work on the marriage per se. Those people, when I was doing those assessments, there was a group of people who actually felt they shouldn't have married their partner. They knew it before the marriage, but the juggernaut of marriage <laughs> took hold <laughs> and for one reason or another, it was easier to, in fact, you know, they, they deemed for their own health and well-being it was easier to get married and then deconstruct the marriage than it was to at some point stand up and say, you know what, I've changed my mind or this is not for me or I don't want to go ahead. So there's a tiny percentage of people who, who do marry knowing that this is not the right thing. But for most people, they're in the honeymoon phase, they they love their partner, they can see all the good things, all the reasons why they want this person in their life. And they also can acknowledge the red flags around the place thinking, oh, you know, that might be annoying, but all these other good things are happening, so I'll overlook that. But when we um, move into what's called the power struggle phase, those differences become much more profound and much more irritating. And the reality is that once someone starts to do something that either annoys you or you find disrespectful, people can gather up those hurts, those pains, those misunderstandings, and then they start to deal with it in their own unique way. So they may either start to have lots and lots of conversations with their partner about their unhappiness or about the things they don't particularly like. Or the other side is they just put those aside and soldier on, recognising that, you know, okay, we'll, ju we'll just move forward. But at some point they realise they're not quite getting what they want. This often, though, does not occur in tandem for each person. <laughs> you know, it would be nice if the journey went evenly along, but often it doesn't. It's one person's capacity to... Um, engage in the relationship, even if it's uncomfortable or distressing, is often much better than, than the other person. Um, and you'll usually have people present in counselling uh, with one person having made the appointment and it's often um, after they've had tried almost everything they know to try and resolve the issues or issues, they want another party to try and either help help them work it through or help them uncouple and, and move on. But it's rare that you get people in counselling who, who um, 
have not got some sense that their marriage or that their relationship is in some sort of distress. So it's not a linear process. It ebbs and flows, but there's some sort of tipping point for people where they recognise that it's not okay anymore. Their relationship's not okay. Whatever they've tried to try and resolve or work through the issues hasn't worked and that they're now deciding, should I stay or should I go? And often counselling is pretty well the last port of call before that sort of happens. That actually leads into something I wanted to ask you. Uh, Who a person confides in when they're trying to sort through this decision really varies. Um, There are those who keep it private, limit to their inner circle. There are those who'll talk to anyone, you know, the person on the bus beside them, (laughs) for example. (laughs) Or, you know, there are the few who keep it really bottled up inside. Um, In this context, how do you think a person is helped by coming to see a counsellor? Well, I think, Liz, you're right. Different people's personalities, particularly their capacity to process information, will affect how they respond to distress in their life or their relationship. Um, So, if you're more of a extroverted type person where you process your thoughts externally you need people to talk to you often will seek out the counsel of friends and family and like you said (laughs) for some people whoever will listen to you Um, if you're much more introverted it's much more likely that you will spend the time thinking in your own mind about what's happening for you and and often come to the conclusion that it's not really worth talking about because you can't really resolve it or you can't move it through or if you've had a go it didn't work so how people approach the situation is often based on their personality type it's often based on on their own, what's called their own attachment history. And, and your attachment history is the history you have in building relationships. And that happens very early in our childhood. And we work out whether people are safe to talk to or not, whether they'll respond to us or not, or whether we should, you know, whether people are non-responsive. There's a number of different types of attachments that, that set people up to engage with other people. So it's quite sort of complex how each individual responds to the distress of a relationship. And you really can't predict one way or the other because sometimes people will talk endlessly to everyone but then get to the point where the talking doesn't work at all and they just start to shut down. Yeah, so... If you're the partner of someone who's not talking, that can be difficult, can it? Because it can give the impression that it's not an important subject to them, but really they might just be processing it in a totally different way from what you said then. Sure. And that it's not only not important to them, it's vitally important, but they can't find the words in which to change a conversation. Often partnerships, you get stuck in the same, it's like truly going round and round about with, with no exit point. You just keep going around and you've seen all this before, you've had this discussion before, you know how it'll end um, and, and often people then try to look for eventually some alternate to that, but often it's not in a very constructive way. It's usually in a fairly um, destructive way where they withdraw from the conversation or they start having that conversation um, 
or, or they take actions outside. You know, they, they find another person who's going to listen to them. And, you know, I, I, the research used to be around 50% of people exit relationships through affairs, through building a relationship with another person. And that's their avenue out of the relationship. Ultimately, that becomes the leverage or the lever that, that, that they use to leave. But that's sort of another story we could chat to down the track. But um, in the main, most people... Um, show distress some people show it internally and some people show it externally and often you hear the conversation particularly from a woman saying I've told you all of this before it's not this is not new to you and for the man what's new to him is that the other person's at the end of their road and that's that's the new part going I didn't really I didn't really think that you really really meant this like that, you, that it was really that bad or that we were really at this place um, so that's usually the uh, the positioning you get and it's not always gender based but one person is often much further out of the relationship than the other by the time they come to couple counseling I like that metaphor of going around and round the roundabout. So if someone is going round and round in the roundabout and then they see, you know, the sign, oh, there's the counselor right-hand turn, <laughs> turn off yep. there. Um, <laughs> how, do, how do you or how do you train um, your students to work with clients making this really massive decision? Um. It's certainly a specialised training area. Lots of people are trained in individual counselling. Lots of people are very competent in individual counselling. But relationship counselling really um, takes a different frame set and you're focused very much on what's happening between the people in their relationship. Whilst each party comes with their own personalities like we've talked about and their own baggage and their own history, it's how they unpack that information um, in terms of what's happening in their relationship. So one of the constructs I found really helpful in me understanding and working with couples and I teach students is that relationships are made up of um, how we communicate, how we manage conflict and how we uh, how committed are we to the relationship? How much we uh, can manage intimacy, which is emotional intimacy that 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 sense of that person has my back or you really understand me, and also sex, whether sex is on the agenda. Often by this stage, it's off the agenda, <laughs> and um, it's not usually working particularly well. Um, so those are the things that we look at, and it might be, for example. Whatever issue is on the table that's triggering the latest sort of discourse and distress, but it might be, for example, one one case comes to mind where um, the female partner said, you know, I just really have such an issue with your drinking, you know, two bottles of red wine at night's untenable. He, he in order, so for her, it was an issue about him. And for him, it was saying, well, if you actually were able to support me and talk with me more, I wouldn't need two bottles of red wine every night. <laughs> so then it became her problem. But what I focus on is how can you talk about this? How can you talk about what needs you have that are not being met? How can you talk about the impact of drinking two bottles of wine on your partner? How can you talk about the impact of not being heard and understood? How does that impact on your partner? So we're focusing not on who owns the issue, but on how they communicated 
or how they are, how they can manage to work through um, issues either by accepting that that's what it needs to be, either amending it or recognizing that this is a deal breaker for them that they're not you know they're not prepared to stay in the relationship with the other party being definitively saying I'm going to continue doing this this thing. So when we train couple counselors, they need to focus on the relationship and help the couple understand the simplicity but the complexity of their relationship. Some of those early um, couples uh, counseling meetings must be, I'll use the word robust, it must be very robust atmosphere. Sure. Um, it's I think that certainly separates the the uh, skilled counsellors from the unskilled counsellors in order to sit with people who are upset and distressed and more than likely will act out that distress in their relationship in front of you. So sometimes we have the, the cue of, you know, when people start to get involved in their ongoing argument that we'll often take time out and, and, and really call people and say, you know, I'm sure you're very skilled at this and we need to be very conscious and mindful. Do you want to demonstrate to me how this works at home or can we note that this is what you do at home, this is what you do all the time and do you want to explore the attempt to do something a bit different than what you've been doing? Because what you've been doing clearly is not working. So I... I remember when I did my um, mediation training that one of my um, trainers who was a a psychologist, he talked mm -hmm. about, you know, a couple's river of resentment. Yep. And I, I yep. did like I did like that phrase. And in your work, how do you shift people from this uh out of the river of resentment to and out of their, I guess, separation story to being future focused? Is that just tricks of the trade that you pick up over the years? I'm 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 intrigued. Uh Great question, Liz. And because I've been couple counselling for over 30 years and I, you know, now train students in how to do couple counselling, one of the things I've just done recently with the group is talk to them about the metaphor of a journey, that the couple counsellor is a bit like a tour guide and the two, and the couple have arrived at what we call base camp or, you know, the, the hotel foyer. And they have all of that history, that, you know, the river of, of issues. And what you need to do is work with the couple around establishing what's brought them here and now and you need to work out whether they have the capacity at this point to look forward and to explore what their goals and dreams and hopes might be for a future together and how similar or how different is that it's like going you know standing in the foyer of the Hyatt thinking you're going on a beach holiday and you've got your thongs and your you know your swimmers packed and your partner arrives with ski gear and you're thinking what are you doing that's not what we're meant to do. So I love it. I love it. That's part of the role of the counsellor is to say, how aligned are you in where the future might need to be? And even if, if you are aligned, how do you have the resources to go on that journey? You know, if you want to do a Himalaya trek, thongs are not going to cut it. You know, you're really going to be uncomfortable. You need to identify the resources that the couple currently have, what they can do more of that will hold them in good stead to move forward and what they need to do less of, in fact, you know, and what, what really makes a difference. But sometimes you also need to acknowledge that where they are now, they cannot move forward unless they go back 
and unpack some of the stuff and that painful history that's contributed to them being where they are today. And sometimes we need to do that before we can move forward. So I'm always very explicit with couples to say, we cannot move forward whilst you are actually carrying bags that are filled with rubbish, <laughs> you know, that's not helpful to you or that is is evidence for you to then share with your partner in a negative way. You know, we need to actually deconstruct that. Now, sometimes the going back is incredibly painful um, and incredibly complex and sometimes it helps build a lot of insight for the other party where their experience of what happened gets tabled and examined and listened to and acknowledged sometimes people can't let it go but sometimes they can and sometimes they understand that their perspective was their perspective and they didn't really take into account what their partner came with either so it's it's an interesting journey sometimes in that unpacking though Liz you are you you know you get clarity on what on whether the, the couple can in fact move forward because sometimes the depth of the pain or the intricacy of what people bring, so like a significant history of depression, for example, or a mental health issue, a significant history of adverse childhood effects like abuse or uh, neglect, those things really impact on people's capacity to uh, thrive and survive in a healthy relationship. So sometimes a partner um, recognises that no matter what they do, the other party cannot engage with them in a way they need to be engaged with for them to have a healthy relationship. That's interesting. It also makes me think about um, these conflicting theories of when you should go to your individual counselling and when you should be at couple counselling. So in that situation where possibly um, someone's individual experience is... Um, damaging the relationship is that a situation where you think or or do you think that should be worked on within the couple environment um I think there's there's situations where you can have both where the couple environment you focus on the couple issues of of how this hypothetically how this depression affects your relationship um and that's absolutely worthwhile but the couple counselor cannot get seduced into working with that person or with their depression that's a different story and that needs to be dealt with in individual counselling. So if that's identified that the management of a mental health issue is one of the impeding factors to the couple having a healthy relationship, then you may well have that person do individual counselling in conjunction with the couple counselling. But it needs to, it's not a blame thing, it's about when the couple agree that this is actually needs to, another level of management. Oh, thanks for that. My other question, they're, they're all so interconnected, but um, in couples work, one person is usually, well, in I think 70% of cases, is um, leaning out mm. and the other one is leaning in. And it's, it's a particularly rough time for the person who is leaning in and wants the relationship to continue. How can counselling help that person who is leaning in? How can they get the support? I think that's or an interesting. They, or can they? Yeah, no, it's an interesting way to look at it. I guess I probably see it a little differently. Is I spend that time in those early phases, all throughout the counselling process, 
helping each person share how committed they are to this process. So if you find that one party really has lost their commitment to work and build this relationship, then you really, um, it, it becomes much more explicit. It's on the table and that party has to own the fact that they're not actually prepared to do the work. Now, that often doesn't always become explicit or that the party can own that. They will often engage in the process, but they won't do the homework, for example. They won't go home and do the the, the tasks that are required to practice some of the things they're, they're identifying in counselling. And it becomes up to the counsellor over time, depending on their style, to confront that person saying, this is what I'm noticing. You're saying this but you're doing this and part of what this process needs to be is to have authenticity and transparency because if you're trying to protect your partner and let them down gently, you're actually not doing them any 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 justice or showing them any respect by not being your own authentic, living your own authentic truth. And we can hold that and this is a space to hold it. But when someone is giving very mixed messages, the other party becomes usually more distressed because they get more and more frustrated. They often want someone to say very clearly, I'm out. I'm out of here. I have nothing left in my bucket. I, I don't want to work on this relationship anymore. And then the other party can, uh, you can move usually into a process of working with them around the grief of losing the relationship. Um, and that sometimes people do deliver that to you in couple counselling. They come, get the knife out, drag the person, mortal wound, and then they head off the, out the door and you're sitting there with someone who is very, very distressed. But at least, you know, they're with someone who can support them. It manages their risk, particularly of impending, you know, wanting to take their own life. It's really important that people have that support with a health professional that can then help them through the journey because often the emotions are overwhelming and people's lives feel like they're in despair. It's a really tough place to be. Mm. And, and in those times, there are a lot of organisations you can reach out to if you don't, you know, 24-hour hotlines and whatnot, if you're unable to work with, with a counsellor. And that is obviously just the end of the, the very end of the a dark spectrum, isn't it? Um. Everyone's decision-making is going to be really unique um, about it. And there are some prominent emotions when considering, you know, separation that are going to stop someone from going ahead who wants to, you know, someone who feels it's the right decision but is just blocked, blocked maybe by fear or blocked by guilt. If you're working with a couple, strange. If you're working with a couple, does this ever happen with you that you've helped them sort of get over these emotions? Is that working against separation, or is that something that not comes up that doesn't come up? Um, I'm I'm not sure that I'm clear about what you, what you mean. Are you saying that if one party actually really does is is in lots of ways wanting to leave, um, but they can't quite find the words, the space, the courage to do that? Is that what you're talking about? Often 
that presentation happens much more in individual counselling where someone comes along to talk the issue through and then you can work with them over time to help them identify what it is they really want and what they're going to need to find in themselves to then have that that decision with that discussion with their partner and it's usually at that point you certainly provide a resource for a couple's counsellor that might you know they might be able to go to to have those tough discussions but you're right Liz it's not an easy easy thing for anyone to come to terms with the fact that this relationship might not make the distance and in fact um, I certainly know in my first marriage and separating I really thought you know I I don't want to model an unhealthy relationship to my daughter and nor do I want to um, yeah spend my years in a relationship that was really I felt detrimental to me as a person um, so it but it did take quite a deal of individual counseling and a deal of couple counseling for us to be able to separate in what was um, ultimately quite an amicable uh, relationship where our daughter was only six years old and we then parented and co-parented um, for the next 12 years <laughs> which meant we had to have you know and I was very conscious of, of how I, what I needed to manage to do that. Um, and I had a girlfriend who was absolutely abhorrent that I was the one to leave the family home and to leave my daughter as, with him as the primary carer. But I knew strategically that that's what needed to happen or we would end up in a war. <laughs> and that was not what I wanted to happen. So there's all those personal complexities that need to be taken into account that can be talked through um, either with you as a couple or, you know, with the help of someone else. And then we move into often separating well. You know, and that becomes the dialogue about how are you going to manage this? How are you going to manage this journey for yourselves and for your children um, and for the deconstruction of what's an intimate relationship, but the reconstruction often of a partnership that's based around parenting mostly because otherwise if you don't have any children, you can just often go your own separate ways. But if you have children, you have to construct a much more functional parenting relationship and that's always difficult to do with someone that you don't want to have it, an emotional intimate relationship with or if you've still got lots of baggage around it. Hmm. Your personal story um, really hit on, I think, a, a common um, dilemma of the separation decision, which is this tremendous tension for most well-meaning parents between your individual um, happiness or well-being and the tension with trying to be a great parent. Mm. Look, I think I, I've certainly worked with lots of people and had that experience and I was very um, fortunate, I think, that I had training as a couple counsellor. Um, I went into couple counselling because I didn't understand that relationship, but I was also much more aware by the time I by the time we did separate of the impact that was possibly going to have for our daughter and I did not, you know, I, I kept what the family court keeps in mind, which is the best interest of the child and that's how we behaved and acted and she's 32 now and a very um my best work I have to say Liz she's my best work and you know and and the payoff was enormous and you're right you know acting out your own agenda that then is entwined in parenting is just so damaging to the children um and, yeah, children don't care who their parents are having sex with. They care that their parents are being parents. That's what they care about. 
I 100% agree with you. And another really interesting part of your story, I hope you don't mind me touching on it again, but I think it's really relevant at this time of decision-making is that um, as much as your friends care about you, I think you have to be very careful which friends you listen to because they have their own history they have their own biases. I'm just an example of your friend who was disappointed that you were the one who left the home. And I do think that can really, unfortunately, influence people in a way that they can then make decisions that are not right for their own personal situation. Oh, look, I think that's that's very true, Liz. And, and I think that's the, the benefits of counselling in lots of ways or seeing a counsellor that they come with a much more not only independent stance, but their job is to help you work out what's best for you. They don't give you, you know, they might be come with some information about the family court process or what you know, they've known before or what research suggests, but the true job of a counsellor is to work out either for individuals or a couple of what's best for them. Um, and like you said, Friends and family particularly often have agendas and they have their own perspective and they, you know, they might love the partner that you're with or equally hate them and that will come to the fore in that process. And, you know, there's just another layer of complexity when we're separating from a person. We're not just separating from that person. We're separating our life. And I remember going through that that first um, separation well, it's been my only one, but that separation. And I remember that Fergie and Andrew separated at exactly the same time as we did. And all I thought was, how can you do this under the public scrutiny? This is hard enough just being a person in an intimate couple, let alone doing it with the cameras on and everyone watching you. So I think that's partly what we need to take into account is separation is um, a, a deep grieving process and it's very much, um, it's worse than a death because you have to keep seeing this person usually you and you have to deal with the death of the relationships with their friends and their family that you now maybe have some sort of peripheral role in but you don't have a central role and for good reason. You can't, you know, very few families and it's not appropriate for them to continue in lots of ways to have you um, until a lot, you've been really disconnected, you've moved through your emotions and you've moved to a much more functional place of being civil parents. That's when you can start doing the family stuff again. And, you know, it is the joy of going to the graduation together and accepting the new partners and accepting the fact that your child loves you both and that's what all they want. Yeah. So there's lots and lots of layers to it. Carrie, I can hear, hear um, some, how much you offer in, in your counselling work. Um, because people can't work with you at the moment, how, how, do you, how do you recommend that people find a counsellor? I mean, I think word of mouth is always fantastic. But if someone can't get a recommendation this way, what suggestions do you have? Um. There is a number of places you can go to look online. Um, the Australian Psychological Society has a webpage and you can look up people who specialise in relationship counselling. You can um, also go to the Australian Counsellors Association. Um, they all have um, lists of people who specialise in couple counselling. Um, and I honestly would suggest, you know, it's a bit like an interview where you ring up and you find out what their background is and what sort of model uh, 
they use in terms of, of the work that they do. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's like anything, a bit like, I don't know, shopping for a couch. You have to go and have a sit and find out if this is the right fit for you. Um, and if it's not uncomfortable, a couch might look great until you sit on it. <laughs> and then you go, mm, yeah, no, that's not good. If it doesn't fit for you, then you can say and say openly to the person, look, you know, this is not working for me. Um, I think as counsellors, we need to get much more feedback from people who tell us the truth of, no, I felt you, you know, you appear to be biased. And that's not always the case, but that's their experience or that, you know, they can just say, this is not a good fit for me. Um, I'm going I'm going to move on. What most people do is they just ring and cancel their appointment at some point prior and then you never see them again. Um but you need counsellors are very open to taking feedback. If it's not working, then tell them what's not working and they can take that into the picture and into the mix and adapt within reason what's happening um, for you. If they if you do an intervention that you think when you go home and just think, what a lot of crap, that's not a good fit for us, you can come back and say, you know what, I, no, no, that's not working for me. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that we need to be open to that as well. And, you know, the, a counsellor's here to help you move your life forward in a way that you want to move it forward, not to be the expert on your life. Um, we are the experts on the process of taking you through a journey that will help you reach the right decisions and learn skills and insight um, and change. But it is... a you're the central party and in relationship counselling, your relationship is the central party. So um, I, I do agree, you know, word of mouth is the best, but that doesn't always work. You can use the other resources that are online um, and, yeah, check it out. Go see. If it doesn't fit, then that's okay too and um, you can move on. Hmm. Um, you touched there on um, asking your counsellor on what model they use. Um, do you think that's something that lay people would need to research first before they spoke to their counsellor? Oh, I'd love them to research that, Liz, <laughs> but it's fairly simple. You need to make sure that the couple's counsellor has some sort of systemic training. That's the word, which means a systems focus. Um, if they have a systemic training and if the, if you can ask them a little bit about their, their approach to couple counselling now um, and their experience in doing couple counselling. Some counsellors are not interested at all, but those that are, are interested in couple counselling have done, you know, a reasonable amount of training and skill and they might all be different. But, um, yeah, it's easy to ask them if they have to have systemic training um, and What's their approach to couple counselling? Listen to that. If it fits, then um, – and if a counsellor's not prepared to talk to you, even at that level, then they're not the one for you. That's great advice. So other than counselling or in addition to counselling, what other resources would you suggest to someone who's trying to make this decision? Um, my, my suggestion is always to try and – intervene when your relationship is showing signs of distress not riddled with cancer yep <laughs> you know if you're thinking that things are not working out so much um you know it's it's easy to 
to get someone involved and I, that's where my career is taking me to relationship coaching, I want to work at that early point where couples are starting to recognise that some of the things are not lining up because it's that point you can often make changes that are small but have enormous impact um, and people can work out how to build a healthy relationship. Um, but if you've gone past that point and you find yourself um, in a really difficult place, look, reading is always very helpful. There's, you know, resources on the internet. Um, there's lots of things to learn about how relationships work. Depending on what your nature's like, if you're a reader and a researcher, what you might find, though, is that your partner is not reading everything that you give them to read <laughs> and they're also not engaging in the process. And I think probably the biggest thing you can do is be is to say how sad you feel and how much hope you have that you can and how committed you are to working on your relationship and that you want them to join you in that journey because if they don't recognise the depth of your pain and despair, it's likely, as we talked about in the beginning, that you will slowly disengage and move further out of the relationship and your partner will really have no idea that that's where you're at until it's too late. Thank you so much, Carrie-Anne, for speaking with me today. You touched there that you're going to be leaving um, the University of New England for your next uh, venture. So if anyone wants to talk to a uh, contact Dr. Carrie-Anne Cook after 2020 New Year, it's probably best to send me a, a request and I'll send you her new contact details as by that time she'll have shifted from the University of New England and will be working again with couples. And actually, Carrie Ann, before you go, um, I'd love for you just to spend a few minutes talking about your new coaching venture because I'm really interested and I still haven't heard enough about it. Oh, thanks, Liz. Um, I think it, couple coaching for me is the end result of this 30 years and a lived experience of getting out of that first marriage and recognising I really believe if we had had some really good coaching in the early days, that first marriage may have had a much better chance of um, of succeeding and thriving. Um, my current relationship, I've been married now for... Um, nearly 15 years and it's had lots of coaching <laughs> I've provided along the way but we've been to couple counselling in the early days to really refine some things that weren't working, different perspectives on things and um, that's my passion and joy at this point in time is to work with people to give them the skills, the insight and the capacity to view their partner in such a way that they're nourishing a relationship, that they are not looking for what's not working, they're looking for what's working and to help them really identify what things make healthy relationships, just like we know about our physical health, that good food and exercise and um, things that, that really enhance our well-being are really, really important for our um, physical and emotional well-being. There's the same things involved in relationships and there's certain things that we can do that will enhance our relationship. And relationships are like, you know, can be a whole range of things, but often they're, they're built on having a pretty good solid bank account and putting investments in there and, and saving and having that money, you know, and the goodwill 
that builds up a really robust, lovely account. So when the times are tough, and there will be tough times, there's capacity to make some withdrawals for those rainy days. But if you don't have that and you really are working on the edge and you start to overspend on the credit card, you'll pay the high interest rates and that's what it's, you know, the road to divorce. So my passion is about working with couples to build a robust, thriving bank account that reflects their relationship and for their children and their future and to have happier people. <laughs> Are you going to call it love bank coaching? <laughs> uh, I th- it, it will be called the relationship map. So it'll be about understand, helping people understand how relationships work and the, the, the focus is to do that in a group way as well because I think you can do some individual work but working with a group of people who are in the same sort of scenario as you, you can get great ideas too about what they're also doing that, that are helpful and working. So the plan is to um, certainly take the relationship map, turn it into a book, an ebook, a website, and resources like you've looked for that are very hard to find, and a resource for couples to build a healthy relationship that's Australia based, and then to offer retreats for um, couples who want to work with us in a small group format um, and, you know, spend the time over a week. Um, in the mornings, we'll do relationship work. In the afternoons, they go away and practice what we've taught them and they also have some lovely time together. So that's what I will be doing um, in the future. And, yeah, hopefully that will, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it'll be something that I'll just really enjoy because working with people is, uh, is still my passion after all these years. It sounds really exciting. And um, when you're a bit further along, you'll have to come back and we'll have to talk about it some more because I'm fascinated because, you know, even even though I work in the sphere of uh, separation, I do want everybody to try and do everything they can to try and make their relationship healthy because they are amazing. When It's amazing when you have a healthy and supportive partner. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Carrie Ann, um, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I so appreciate it. I know people listening will have gained a lot from your professional and personal experience. Thank you, well, Carrie thanks Ann. so much. Thanks for having me, Liz, and I do look forward to talking to you again next year when we've um, got some of the the uh, the foundations for the next phase of my career in in order. <laughs> Thanks, Carrie Ann. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast, and if something in the episode has motivated you. I recommend that before you take any action, you get professional advice because the conversations are general in nature and not based on your particular situation. Please reach out to me if you have any questions or if there's another topic you'd like explored. And if you know someone who might benefit from the show, remember to tell them about it or suggest my Instagram or website, www.theseparationfix.com. Good luck being your best self today. Just know I'm out there too, trying as well.